0: go through uh, these next two weeks, first and last words is what came to me from the book of Philippians, and so that's what we're going to be looking at. Um, I recently retired from teaching. Uh, I've been teaching for 45 years. I began as a... Thank you. I began as a high school and junior high uh, band and choir director out in 29 Palms. And uh, after I did that for 10 years, I started teaching at uh, our church's Christian school. It was an accelerated Christian education school and I taught junior and senior high school for a year. And then I felt God leading me into the ministry, so I went to seminary in San Bernardino at uh, Campus Crusade for Christ Seminary. And uh, during the four years that I was there, I continued to substitute teach uh, for the San Bernardino Unified School District. And then after I graduated, I got a job uh, uh, pastoring a church out in Mira Loma uh, for the next 10 years. Uh, The church was too small to even be able to afford to pay me. So I was a bivocational pastor. And so I was uh, continuing to substitute teach for uh, the Riverside and Harupa districts. And then uh, towards the end of my time at uh, Harupa Praise Fellowship, uh, uh, they kept getting smaller and smaller. And so I finally got a a full-time job teaching medically fragile and multiply handicapped preschoolers. And I just retired from that after 26 years of working with them. And uh, I had a wonderful time doing all of those, but this is a new season of my life. And I'm looking at it as if it was an undiscovered country. If you're a Star Trek fan, you probably know what that is. But the undiscovered country is just one we've never been to yet. We don't know what to expect. We don't know what the language is. We don't know where the uh, places are that we need to go. And that's what retirement is for me. It's going to be an undiscovered country. And I, I I look forward to exploring it and learning how to navigate successfully. But I know. That good things and bad things await me in this new country. And I know that each one of you is going on to a new undiscovered country too. You may not know it. We may not know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen the next day. But all of us face some kind of a new challenge, a new season in our lives. And so we need to get some strength. We need to get some encouragement. We need to get some words from the Bible. And that's what first, uh, uh, first words and last words is all about. Some encouragement for me as I go into this undiscovered country, as I look forward to what God has planned for my life. When we uh, learned at VBS this last week, we learned when life changes, God is good. thank you VBS people out there, that's good. Because when life changes, God is still good. He's always with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And so today we're going to be looking at at Paul's first words to the Philippians. And and next week we'll look at his last words that he says to them. So if you want to open your Bible to the book of Philippians, that would be great. You can just hold it right there. We're in chapter 1, and we're going to go from 3 to verse 20. Uh, But I want to give you a little background first about the book of Philippians, and um, it was written by Paul while he was in prison for about two years. He was probably in Rome, and he was awaiting judgment that would affect his liberty and perhaps even his life. He wasn't sure what was going to happen. The church at Philippi was the last of Paul's churches west of the Aegean that he visited before he went to Jerusalem and then Uh, ended up in Rome in prison so that was the last group that he saw west of the Aegean and the Philippians were always communicating with him they were sending letters back and forth they were sending money back and forth they were sending people back and forth to help him and so they they had a a rich history with that Philippian church and if you remember the Philippian church was started down by the river Uh, by Lydia, the seller of purple. She was one of the first ones that uh, Paul met when he came to Philippi and he went down to the prayer group that met down by the river. And then he was thrown into jail and he met the Philippian jailer. And turns out the Philippian jailer became one of the, uh, the founders of the church of Philippi too. So those were some of the people that he had knew in Philippi. And then Epaphroditus was another person from the Philippian church that uh, took a gift from Philippi to Rome to Paul to help him in his imprisonment that he was there. And while Epaphroditus was there, he got sick. He almost died. And the church was very worried about him as well as Paul. And so when Epaphroditus recovered, Paul determined that he would write to the church and to send it with Epaphroditus so that they would see and hear firsthand how God had saved him and how, God, how good God had been in their situation. And in this letter, we see the heart of Paul towards the church at Philippi And also his heart towards us too. God's heart towards us. It's a book that's filled with joy. We've been singing about that this morning. Great worship time. Just being able to rejoice in the Lord because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that's one of the things that Paul was saying over and over in the book of Philippians. And one of the reasons why it has comforted me and helped me when I find myself in situations that I don't know what to do. I don't know what direction to go. I go back to the book of Philippians and it always helps. So, Let's start in the book of Philippians, starting with uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. Rejoice in prayer. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Wow, the very thought of Christian friends in Philippi gives Paul cause for gratitude to God. His gratitude is repeatedly linked to his constant prayer for his friends. God wants us to live in relationship with others in the church. We need to be taking time every day to pray for and thank God for all of the relations he has given us over the years. Paul's joy particularly comes from their wholehearted participation with him in the gospel and their constant contact and supply. Their eager partnership was a sure sign of the work God of grace accomplished in their lives. For the past three years, I've seen that come to life here at Grace Fellowship in VBS, Vacation Bible School. If you haven't uh, been to that, you missed it. But you'll see a little bit of that at the very end, so hold on to that. But I have seen the participation in the gospel of sixty or more of you coming out every day and faithfully giving out the love of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to these children and to each other at the same time. That's the kind of wholehearted cooperation that Paul remembered about the Philippian church and all the things that they had gone through in starting the church and building up the church from its inception and the. Those are the kinds of things that Paul is remembering here with joy, and he's praying for them day in and day out. So as I looked at this passage, I started to think about my undiscovered country, and I felt God was speaking to me three things. The first thing is for us to take time to remember and be appreciative of all the relationships that we've made through our life. Pastor Doug has told us repeatedly that our Christian life is all about relationships. It's relationships, one with another. That's what we need to do. Those relationships will last how long? Forever! Hallelujah! We're going to be with each other forever. And we're going to be in that relationship forever. Now is the time to start building those relationships and working on those relationships. Michael J. Fox said this in Reader's Digest. Every failure I have considered my own, but every success has been shared. You know, in my work in education all through those years, especially over the last 26 years working with uh, the, the preschoolers, it wasn't me all by myself doing all that work. I had tremendous instructional assistants that were with me day in and day out. They taught me a lot more than I knew. I had uh, healthcare assistants that took care of all the medical needs. I had physical therapists that came in and helped me understand how to deal with those kids. I had occupational therapists that helped me to be able to feed them and do that, do things properly. I had social workers come in and helping with their family situations. I had parents coming in telling what their favorite things are and what I had um, secretaries helping me to do all my paperwork and get those things in. I had administrators helping me to do all those things. And I had custodians that cleaned up my room every day after I messed it all up. I had this whole team of people that made my success possible. I couldn't do it without them. The same thing is true with the church. We can't do it without you. VBS would not happen without you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your willingness to take time to do those kinds of things. And that's why we, we have success. Paul is excited about relationships. Paul is excited about those. He's rejoicing and he's giving thanks to God for all of those things. I read this in a Guidepost magazine. It, it, it talks about, um, well, I'll just read it. When I was 12 years old, I read a remarkable story called The Bishop's Candlesticks. The story captivated me as I read about Jean Valjean, a dark, filthy ex-convict who is welcomed by a hospitable bishop. A meal is offered, a bed is made, but in the night Valjean steals the bishop's silver and slips out into the darkness. Apprehended nearby, Valjean is shackled like an animal and marched back into the bishop's house. Ah, there you are, the bishop greets him. How is this? I give you the candlesticks too, which are silver like the rest. Take them now. Redemption thus comes to this man made despicable by an unjust world, and he becomes transformed Uh, the transformed hero of Victor Hugo's enduring novel, Les Miserables. I thought it would be nice to know someone like the bishop, who so purely shows the love of God, someone who finds good in the untouchables of the world, someone perfect. Years flew by, and I look at that old bishop differently. He becomes not some holy apparition, but a mirror reflecting the face of God, which he discovers deep in the soul of Jean Valjean. The glow, I finally discover, has never been who the bishop is, but a reflection of what he sees in others. I smile fondly at my 12-year-old self, the girl who thought there were perfect people in the world, the girl who already knew herself well enough to know she could never be one of them. Thank God for the bishop. His lesson is simple. God waits in the faces of everyone we meet. Look and see. Find perfection in the seeing and not the being. Our relationships, we need to look and see the face of God in everyone we meet. When you look at the person to the left of you and the person to your right of you, look look at them to the left and the right. Look at the face of God. That's the face of God. When we were all together, we saw the face of God in every person that we saw. In as we looked at the kids as they came, we saw the face of God. We need to look for the very best in people. We need to be able to develop those relationships. That's how you develop them. You see God in them. Um, Roberta Messner is one of my favorite authors and she, she worked for Veteran Affairs for a lot of years and then she retired and um, she started going to yard sales looking for wheelchairs to give to the veterans that, uh, at the hospital because there was a big need for that. And so she, she was looking uh, all over the place, finally found one, told her the story to the guy and he said, take it, take it. And, and she said this, Thank you for helping me discover a gift that only I can give. It put together her love of yard sales and something that was really necessary. And God gave creativity to bless someone, to see the face of God in that situation. I I think that's what God is telling me as I go into this undiscovered country and you that we need to look and see the face of God in everyone we come in contact with to see them and, and to be on the lookout for the gifts that only you can give to people. God created you to be a blessing but you need to choose to do that. You need to see God in every person that you meet. You need to make that a priority. And as I go into my undiscovered country, I don't know who I'm going to meet, but I know I want to see God, and I want to see God use me in that situation. So that was the first thing. The second thing is that we need to pray fervently for one another to find out how people are doing and to bring every need to the Father in prayer. Colossians 4.2 says this, We are to vote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. We need to be devoted to prayer. We need to take time to pray for things whenever the moment hits. Don't wait. Pray. Pray for them. Uh, I remember an old song that was based on 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 18. Pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Or something like that. It's been a long time. But that whole idea, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We need to pray for people. When my wife and I go out to eat and we do that, do you ever go out to eat? Yeah, okay. We do that a lot, even more now that I'm retired. and uh, Anyway, um, when we go out to eat, uh, as, as soon as we've ordered our meal, I ask the, the, the waiter or the waitress what their name is, and I say, we're just about to pray for our food. Is there anything I can pray for you for? And just at Polly's Pies the other night, we were there with David and the baby, and, and um, um, the, 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 Vanya was the, the, the server's name, and she said, "Well, you know, you could pray for my daughter. Uh, she's about three years old uh, and, um, or my son, Vincent. It was Vincent. And, and so we prayed for them, and we talked about the baby, and we had relationship. We had a moment there. And sometimes we'll ask them, "Can you stay and pray with us?" And if they're not busy, I've had people stay and pray. And, and it's a beautiful way of just putting the gospel out there to give them an opportunity. Uh, most of the time people say yes. We've had very few people say no. And then we always leave a generous tip because it's not a good idea to be praying for people that depend on tips and then stiff them. Uh, I've heard from a lot of servers that Christians after Sunday services, are some of the worst tippers. Don't be one of those, okay? Especially if you're going to pray for them. And even all week long in VBS, I don't know how many times we had to pray, but we had to pray a lot, didn't we? Praise God, because it's stressful. There's a lot of things that happen. And every day, you know, we'd have kids at the Bible section and we'd we'd give them an opportunity to share what was good, what was unfair, what was sad, you know, all all of the things that we were going through that week. And the kids would come up with stuff and, and we would stop and pray for them. We prayed for you. Yeah, we did. We prayed for them right there at the moment because that's when you need to do it. Not, not later on. I mean, it's good to pray later on too. But go ahead and just step out and pray for people fervently, all the time, unreservedly. That's what we need to do. Amen? Amen. Pray. The third thing comes from verse 6 where it says, I am confident of this very thing. God will complete the work that He began in us. Amen? Amen. God is not done with you. Whew. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm glad because there's a lot more to do. God is not done with us. What he has begun, he will continue to do it. What has been truly inaugurated will be certainly completed. God is not done. He promises to never leave you nor forsake you. Don't don't look at your circumstances to determine your attitude, but look at God to determine your attitude. That's what we've been learning about these last few months with Pastor Doug. We don't look at the circumstances, we look at God. Amen? And prayer is our key. Prayer is what we need to do. Amen? All right, moving on verses 9 through 11. Abound in love. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And I think this prayer encapsulates the purpose of the entire letter. I pray for you regularly, and this is what I pray, that your love may abound more and more and more and more and more if such love increases it's going to remove the threats to their unity of heart and purpose that arises from clashes of personality and temperament things get heated sometimes in the midst of of ministry sometimes we don't always agree and we need to be able to uh, love aboundingly we need to let love cover those times and uh, we need to be able to, to, to stop those clashes. Later on in the book, he talks to Euodia and Syntyche and tells them to cut it out. Love one another. Work together. That's what we need to do. And this is his prayer, that we ought to love everybody. Uh, Bob Goff wrote a book called Love Does and Everybody Always. And in it, he says that when it comes to love, we've been called to be rivers and not reservoirs. Don't try to cherish and hoard the love that you receive, but instead, recklessly, with abandon, give it away. And we had tremendous opportunities at VBS to recklessly, with abandon, give love away. Uh, 1024 every day was a wild party of things happening outside there. You'll see some of those things, some games that they did. And we recklessly loved one another. And we, we had a wonderful time. It was that kind of stuff that we need to do. God is with us. God wants us to, to love all the time. Look for opportunities to love. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in loving, giving love away to those you come in contact with. Um, Now, another thing that Paul says, he says uh, that you may abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So one of the things that happens, there are grave dangers when emotion is uncontrolled by intelligence. When emotion is uncontrolled by intelligence, there's grave damage that can happen. Uh, Such as... um, A parent who says they love their child so much that they continue to bail them out of every situation they get into when they get in trouble. Instead of letting them suffer the consequences and learn and grow up and become an individual, they keep bailing them out. That's love without intelligence. You you, you don't want to have that in the church. And then the opposite side of that is that... um, Okay, where is it? There's a danger, and it's also dangerous when knowledge is divorced from love, Uh, such as a very Christian father who decides when he hears that his daughter has become pregnant that she is disinherited and she has to leave and she has to get out because what she did was wrong. That's not love. You've gone the wrong way. You've become too hard. The letter of the law is killing, and we need to have love. You need to have that balance between the two. You can't just do one or the other. There needs to be that balance. The truth of the gospel is liable to be subverted where ignorance and faulty judgment provide a foothold for false teaching True knowledge and depth of insight will enable believers to discern what is best among the good. And as Calvin says, knowing what is good or expedient as against empty subtleties and speculations, both are necessary, and they come from a growing insight into the character and will of God. Where do you get wisdom? Where do you get knowledge? Where do you get discernment? From this from this book why don't you turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 17 back then the king was the leader of the children of Israel and the king was tasked uh, with learning the Word of God and we are kings and queens today amen God has given us an authority just as kings and queens And so, this is for you as well as it is for the kings back then. Uh, Chapter 17, verse 18. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of Levitical priests. It shall be with him and he shall read it in all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. And we've all heard 2 Timothy 2:15 that says we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God a workman that rightly discerns the word of God. Both of these passages tell us how important it is for us to get the word of God into us. You know, the king was supposed to handwrite every word of the scripture And he was supposed to have help. The Levitical priests were supposed to be there to explain to him and tell him what he was writing and what it meant. What do you do about it? How do you live that way? And so they had this conversation. They had this relationship going. And we need to be doing that too. We need to be reading the word. We need to be putting it in. But we need to be hearing from other people to get wisdom and insight and discernment about uh, doctrine. We have Doug here to give us doctrine. Praise God. What a wonderful resource that is. When you're not sure about something, you can go call Doug or you can call one of the elders or you can look at somebody around here and ask them too. Anybody. God, God wants to use us in relationship with one another to build up our knowledge of the word of God. We need to do that. And we're to follow it. We're to do it day in and day out. Um, and... and during the week, this, this week, Doug reminded us that as we're pouring out our love, as we're pouring out our forgiveness, as we're pouring out all of the things to the people that we meet, we need to fill up. We, we can't go out there with nothing. We've got to fill up. We're rivers, not reservoirs. We, we've got to let it flow through us. It can't just sit there and stink. It's got to go out and, but we've got to put it in. And that's what uh, was important. And uh, you know, I know that's what we all need to do. We need to get more of the Word of God in us and then live it out. That's, that's part of what Paul is saying. That's what his prayer is for those Philippian believers, that they would do it uh, in, um, with knowledge and all discernment. Okay. And then at the very end of that section, verse 11, it says, Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. And that fruit of righteousness is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 talks about joy, peace, thanks, all of those great fruit of the Spirit. We need to, to have that flow out of us. We need, it's, it's in us, but we need to have it flow out of us. We need to be able to choose To do that, Um, I went to Fish Fest uh, in June, uh, out at Five Points Amphitheater in Irvine, and the the pastor there gave a a message uh, during the break, one of the breaks, on Psalm 150. And in Psalm 150, it says, "Let everything that has breath praise the Lord." That was his thesis. And and one of the things that caught me, he said that we all breathe out CO two. Right. And that CO2 causes plants to live. And plants breathe in CO2 and they breathe out oxygen and that causes us to live. And, and his his idea was that nature has been hardwired to keep us alive and for us to breathe out so that someone else will live. And for someone else to breathe out so that we can live. It goes back to those relationships. We've been hardwired to do that when it comes to oxygen and CO2. We, we couldn't live without that. God wants us to do that back and forth. But we have to choose to give out of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. We have that choice. We don't have to. We don't have to love. We don't have to do those things, but we have to choose. And I think that's one of the things that that I need to be reminded of, to make those choices. Several years ago, my wife uh, put together an encouragement uh, folder. And she got together all kinds of things uh, from all different sources because life is wild. Amen? Life is wild, and when things get wild, you need something to, to fill you up and to, to help you through that. And so one of the things that she uh, found was this called The Choice is Mine. And this is about choices. It's all about choices. I woke up early today excited over all I get to do before the clock strikes midnight. I have responsibilities to fulfill today. I am important. My job is to choose what kind of day I am going to have. Today... I can complain because the weather is rainy or I can be thankful that the grass is getting watered for free. Today I can feel sad that I don't have more money or I can be glad that my finances encourage me to plan my purchases wisely and guide me away from waste. Today I can grumble about my health or I can rejoice that I am alive. Today I can lament over all that my parents didn't give me when I was growing up, or I can feel grateful that they allowed me to be born. Today I can cry because roses have thorns, or I can celebrate that thorns have roses. Today I can mourn my lack of friends, or I can excitedly embark upon a quest to discover new relationships. Today I can whine because I have to go to work. Or I can shout for joy because I have a job to go to. Today I can complain because I have to go to school or eagerly open my mind and fill it with new rich tidbits of knowledge. Today I can murmur dejectedly because I have to do housework or I can feel honored because the Lord has provided a shelter for my mind, body, and soul. Today stretches ahead of me waiting to be shaped and here I am the sculptor Who gets to do the shaping. What today will be is up to me. I get to choose what kind of day I will have. Choices. It's all about choices. Are we going to choose to give out of the love that God gave us and give back to the world? Are we going to choose to give the joy, the happiness, the the peace, the patience? Are we going to choose to give those out? Or are we going to keep them to ourselves? We have that choice as we walk through this undiscovered country of life. We have the choice. I read this in the Daily Bread recently. One of our sons, Brian, is a high school basketball coach. One year, as his team was dribbling its way through the Washington State Basketball Tournament, well-meaning folks around town asked, Are you going to win it all this year? Both players and coaches felt the pressure. So Brian adopted a motto, play with joy. I thought of the Apostle Paul's last words to the elders of Ephesus, that I may finish my race with joy. His aim was to complete the task Jesus had given him. I have made these words my motto and my prayer. May I run and finish my race with joy. Or as Brian says, may I play with joy. And by the way, they did win the state championship that year. We all have good reasons to get grouchy, discouraging news, everyday stresses, health problems. Nevertheless, God can give us joy that transcends these conditions if we ask Him. We can have what Jesus called my joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So we must remember each morning to ask Him to help us. May I play with joy. Richard Foster said, To pray is to change. This is a great grace. How good of God to provide a path whereby our lives can be overtaken by joy. We just need to pray. We need to ask God. And then we need to be filled with that joy. Amen? Amen. And then the final section, God is in control. The last section. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, Are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way. Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that, with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. The Philippians were very, very concerned about how Paul's situation would turn out. And Paul is assuring them that it has turned out to further the gospel, for the progress of the gospel. That's, uh, you know, it's not there, it it didn't diminish the the furtherance of the gospel, him being in prison. Paul assures them, because every four hours, a new praetorian guard from the the Roman emperor was chained and given a presentation of the gospel. What an opportunity for two years, every four hours, a new guard, and it became well known in the emperor's household. Paul was not the emperor's prisoner, but he was Christ's prisoner. People were being encouraged to preach the gospel for either good or bad reasons. Some were preaching out of goodwill and love in defense of the gospel with pure motives and in truth. Hallelujah. Others, they preached out of envy and strife, selfishly ambitious for wages or higher, not authentically, but sowing discord and distress. You know, it wasn't that they were preaching false doctrine. They were teaching the right doctrine, but they taught it for the wrong motive. And we have some of that in the church today, too. There are people that preach the right gospel, but for the wrong motive. They're just in it for the money. They're just in it for one thing or another. But what does Paul say? What then? What then? Paul rejoices that Christ is preached. Those preaching for wrong motive... Even though it wasn't false doctrine, the message was true and God's word will not return void. That was Paul's truth. He knew that it was turning out for the best part of the gospel. And his situation has led to Christ being exalted and preached with boldness and without shame. When we find ourselves in difficult situations of life, we can be confident that God continues to have a plan for us. He is in control. All during VBS this last week, we've learned that when life is wild, God is good. When life changes, God is good. When life is scary, God is good. When life is uh, good, good. God is good. When life is unfair, God is good. When life is sad, God is good. All of those things. We learn that over and over and over. God is good. Even when life gets tough. Even when you're in prison like Paul was. Let me share a story about a guy named Harlan Popoff. He had no idea what turn his life would take when the doorbell rang early one morning in 1948. Without any warning, the Bulgarian police took Harlan away to prison because of his faith. He spent the next 13 years behind bars praying for strength and courage and despite horrible treatment, he knew that God was with him and he shared the good news of Jesus with fellow believers and many believed, God is good. In the account that we've heard from Genesis about Joseph, he had no idea what would happen to him after he was mercilessly sold by his angry brothers to merchants who took him to Egypt, sold him to Potiphar. He found himself in a culture surrounded by people who believed in thousands of gods. To make things worse, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. When Joseph refused repeatedly, she falsely accused him and he was sent to prison. Yet God didn't abandon him. Not only was he with Joseph, but he also gave him success in everything he did. He showed him kindness and granted him favor with those in authority. Even though he was in fear, Joseph must have felt some fear, but he remained faithful and kept his integrity. God was with Joseph in his difficult journey, and he had a master plan for him. And he has a plan for you and I too. God is in control. That's basically what Paul is saying to the Philippian believers. No matter what your circumstance, no matter what's going on, it's all going to work together for good because God loves you and He has a plan for your life. And we can be confident in that. He's going to finish the good work that He began in us. He's going to do the work. And so in conclusion... I feel like this undiscovered country of retirement that is before me. God's been telling me to trust Him no matter what happens or whatever comes up. I'm to rejoice always. We're to rejoice always. I need to cultivate my relationships within the church by praying for and loving recklessly and with abandon. I need to love and pray for others outside the church with the same reckless abandon. I must study God's word daily to show myself approved, a workman that handles the word properly, having real knowledge and all discernment. I need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit and to allow the fruit of the Spirit to overflow to everyone that I come in contact with. That's what God is telling me as I look forward to my undiscovered country. And I believe that's what he's telling you as you look forward to your undiscovered country. You may be going through some difficult times, but God is with you. And God wants you to do thus those simple things, to love people, to do those things. I'd like to, uh, in closing, I'd like to share a song that I believe encapsulates those ideas. This is by, uh, called "Reason." by unspoken Everything, every hour. (laughs) let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your love is the reason, Father. We thank you that you put that fire in us, and Lord, you're going to continue the work in us, and we can be confident of this very thing, that he who has began a good work in us will complete it. And so, Father, I thank you for that. I pray, Lord, as we go, that we would rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And everyone said...